Well, today we have uh, got a dramatic story for you all. Last week we saw how we live in an attention-grabbing economy. If you can grab someone's attention, chances are you will have uh, success in the secular world. People often grab uh, others' attentions by telling stories. And we saw one key element last week in telling a good story is effectively pitting a good guy versus a bad guy. And we took a look at that as Paul was talking about that in the book of Romans, uh, pitting God really against the, this issue of sin, the, the main enemy in our life. Well, another key element to a great story is a dramatic event with a lot at stake. And that's exactly what we have at hand as we celebrate Palm Sunday today. We're going to be taking a small break from our series on the book of Romans uh, as we are dealing with the last week of the life of Jesus before his death. So today we're celebrating Palm Sunday. Friday we'll be remembering his death uh, and sacrifice, his suffering. And then on Sunday we'll be remembering his God-given victory over death. And so we'll be reading uh, this morning from Matthew chapter 21, the story of Palm Sunday. But before we do that, we're, we're going to give, uh, spend a decent bit of time of setting the scene of what exactly is taking place here at Palm Sunday. It's a story that many of you guys may be familiar with. Um, and, and sometimes when we read through uh, the story of Palm Sunday, maybe if, if you have fond memories of Sunday school when you were young and, and you had these stories of Palm Sunday, sometimes we we have it in our mind that the story of Palm Sunday is uh, this cute little parade of Jesus riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. But that's not really the case at all. This is a huge, dramatic event in the life of the most important human being in all of history. It was the beginning, in my eyes, of the most important week in the history of mankind. And so the story of Palm Sunday is found in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we'll be reading it from uh, the book of Matthew this morning. There aren't many events in, in the life of Jesus that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so that alone tells us the significance of this event of Palm Sunday, Jesus triumphantly entering the city of Jerusalem. And so throughout Jesus' recorded ministry in the four Gospels, he spent much of his time in the region of Galilee and in the region of Judea. Ben, if you have uh, the map uh, back there, yeah, uh, you, you won't be able to uh, read the words. That's uh, not important right now. But, but to the top is Galilee towards the south. You, you'll see the, the cluster of things at the bottom. That is the region of Judea. And this is present day Israel. It's hard to see the colors, but you see the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River and then the Mediterranean Sea on uh, the left as well. And so uh, Jesus spent much of his time to the north in Galilee and to the south in Judea. He didn't spend too much time in that middle region of Samaria. He spent some time there. He, he dealt with the Samaritan uh, from time to time, but his focus was on the Jews who, who were heavily prevalent in uh, the region of Galilee and in the Judean region as well. And at some point in the life of Jesus, God informed him that he was going to have to die and suffer at the hands of men. 
It's pretty clear to me that Jesus had limited knowledge throughout his ministry. He flat out said that he didn't know when he was going to come back to earth to establish God's coming kingdom. And and, and so it's pretty clear to me he, he had some sort of limited knowledge, but God did reveal information to Jesus throughout his ministry. He constantly knew things about people and about circumstances that he otherwise should not have known if it were not for God revealing this information to him. So while Jesus was up in the Galilean region, he knew that he needed to head down to Jerusalem for that is where he was going to die. And this was not public knowledge. This was not public knowledge that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was going to have to go down to Jerusalem uh, to die. Uh, but Jesus, he, he did pull his disciples aside on three separate occasions, and he tells them of his fate. In Matthew 16, 21, it reads, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. In Matthew 17, 22 and 23, it reads, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man, uh, re- referring to himself, is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. And then finally, in Matthew 20, 18, read, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And so this map shows the journey uh, that that Jesus took from the Galilean region to the north to the the city of Jerusalem down at the very bottom of that map. And and it was at least an 80-mile journey. Jesus' journey at the very least 80 miles from point A to point B, and point B was the place of his execution, and he was aware of that. He knew that. He, he, he told his disciples three separate occasions that, that he was going to die. And, and in Matthew 16 and uh, in Matthew 20 as well, he, he mentioned specifically the city of Jerusalem. So he knew he was going to his place of execution willingly. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine taking an 80 plus mile journey willingly whether on foot or, or maybe he, he rode on some animals along the way, not super clear. But, but he made this long journey knowing the final destination of where he was going. He was going to be mocked. He knew he was going to be flogged, severely beaten. And he knew he was going to be crucified. A harsh, harsh Roman punishment of death. A terrible way to die. He's aware of all of that. And so to the east of the city of Jerusalem was the Mount of Olives. And I, I looked at a picture of the Mount of Olives, and it looks uh, pretty much like a big hill. Uh, so essentially what would be called the mountain here in Ohio uh, is what the Mount of Olives that we're dealing with over near Jerusalem. And on the, this Mount of Olives, or, or really the, this huge hill, you get a nice panoramic view of Jerusalem. And then just to the east of the Mount of Olives is a town called called Bethany. And this town, Bethany, was only about one and a half miles away from the city of Jerusalem. And so while Jesus was on this long journey down to Jerusalem, down to the place of his execution, he stumbled upon the, the town of Bethany about a mile and a half away from his final destination. And there he learned that his dear friend Lazarus fell asleep in death. 
And Jesus was grieved by this. I, I, I find comfort in the idea that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with all the power and authority that God has granted them, Jesus grieved. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. The, the shortest verse uh, in the scriptures. Jesus wept as his dear friend Lazarus died. However, Jesus brought Lazarus back to life in a dramatic turn of events. And so this occurrence of Jesus raising his dear friend Lazarus from the grave, it brought in a large crowd. Many people came in to see Jesus and the, and the risen Lazarus in the city of Bethany. And Jesus kind of uh, became somewhat like a celebrity among the people who heard that he raised a man from the dead. I mean, imagine the type of fame that we would have today that would be associated with us if we raised someone from the dead. That, that would be miraculous. And so Jesus was making a name for himself. And more and more people were focusing their attention to this man, Jesus. And it's becoming popular opinion, or at least more popular compared to the beginning of his ministry, that Jesus was indeed the Christ. He was the Messiah, the, the, the promised Messiah that that's, uh, the, these prophecies flooded throughout the Old Testament. This man that the, the Jews have been waiting for thousands of years upon. More and more people were, were coming to this conclusion that, hey, this guy, Jesus, he is that man. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. As God promised the Jews that someone would come and be their savior. And so the Jews for 2,000, over 2,000 years looked for this savior. And many people came along uh, before Jesus claiming to be the savior that God had promised. That, hey, I am the Messiah. I am God's chosen one. All of these uh, movements or revolution, uh, revolutions ended up in death. Uh, the, the false Messiah died and that was pretty much the end of that movement. Nevertheless, Jesus came along after all of these false messiahs, and people thought Jesus truly was the savior of the world that God had promised all throughout the Old Testament. And so Jesus was, was getting ready to enter the city of Jerusalem for his last time, the capital for the Jews. And it was no ordinary time that Jesus was entering the city of Jerusalem either. Jesus entered uh, the, the, the city, triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem on Sunday, and it was four days before the preparations for the Passover meal. The law required that Passover be celebrated in the city of Jerusalem, that every Jewish male uh, participate annually in this festival. And so not only was Jesus going to enter like, like the capital city of the Jews in Jerusalem, he was going there at perhaps the busiest time of the year as people were getting ready for, for the preparations of Passover, a, a law in which the, these people were required to be present. According uh, to Barclay's commentary in the book of Matthew, he writes, quote, 30 years later, 30 years later after uh, this triumphant entry into Jerusalem, a Roman governor was to take a census of the lamb slain in Jerusalem for the Passover and find that the number was not far off of any, any guesses on how many lambs was slain about 30 years after Jesus triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem. This one Passover event. Any ideas as far as how many lambs were slain? Any guesses? 4,000? Come on, don't be shy on me, guys. Any other guesses? Nothing. 
zero, four, 4,000. Uh, that 4,000 uh, probably pretty close to what I would have guessed as well. According to this report, this Roman governor found that the number was not far off of 250,000. 250,000 lambs slain. It was a Passover regulation that there must be a party of a minimum of 10 for each lamb, which means that at that Passover, and again, this was a particular Passover about 30 years after Jesus was in the city of Jerusalem, that means there would have been more than 2 million 500,000 people present near this city of Jerusalem. To give us sort of an idea, that, that's a big number that a lot of us, uh, myself, I, it's hard to, to contemplate a number that big. The population of Springfield, Ohio is about 60,000. So we're talking about a gathering of people about 40 times as big as the city of Springfield. I mean, Jesus could not have chosen a more dramatic moment. It was a city overflowing with people, with Jews who had expectations of God's Messiah. And so do you see, before we even begin to read the story of the triumphal entry, that this isn't just some cute little parade of Jesus riding on a donkey or on a colt and people pleasantly laying down paw bread. No, this, this is a, a huge event. The magnitude is incredible. This is huge. The, 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 the beginning of the most important week in the history of mankind. And so we pick up in this story of Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. And Matthew writes, one of his disciples writes of this occasion. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And so Jesus here, he, he was uh, located at the Mount of Olives, which again is just right to the east of the city of Jerusalem. And when you're atop the, this Mount of Olives, you, 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 get a, you get a panoramic view of the city of Jerusalem. You can see the temple in this city of Jerusalem. And so as Jesus is possibly looking over the city of Jerusalem, the place that he knows he, he's about to be executed, Jesus goes and he asks his disciples to go and find a donkey and a colt to ride into the city of Jerusalem with. A couple of verses later, Matthew also mentions a foal. Now, I don't know if it's just me or not, uh, but I feel like I have to relearn what the difference is between a donkey, a colt, and a foal each year around Palm Sunday. Now, I know I'm talking to the wrong crowd here because we're dealing with people from Ohio. So you guys probably already know the difference between a donkey and a colt and a foal. Uh, but let me talk to my family who's not originally from Ohio for a minute and, and remind them uh, a, a foal is a young donkey and a colt is a young male donkey. Um, and, and so it's just different classifications of a donkey that we are dealing with. And I'm sure the rest of you guys probably already knew that because a lot of you guys born and raised here in Ohio, and that's just common sense to you all. I'm sorry, not, not, not common uh, sense to me. Uh, but Mark and Luca indicate that this colt that they acquired for Jesus never had been ridden on before. And this is a detail that, that's hidden from the account of Matthew. Uh, but I think it's, it's an important detail to take note of as this detail shows the sacredness of this event. 
In the law of Moses in the Old Testament, a red heifer, which was used for ceremonies of cleansing, it must be an animal on which no yoke has been laid on. And on top of that, the cart on which the ark of the Lord was carried had to be a vehicle which had never been used for any other purpose than carrying the ark of the covenant. For, for these were sacred things. The, these were sacred practices. And this cult that Jesus was about to sit on was sacred in the fact that nobody else has ridden on it before. It was reserved for a very, very special man. It's my idea, my thought, that, that God divinely set apart this cult for the purpose that his Messiah could ride into the city of Jerusalem on it, and nobody else had ridden it before. And so the, the, the story continues in verse 4 of chapter 21. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so Jesus requested that his disciples bring him a colt to ride on to fulfill the prophecy written in Zechariah 9.9. Now, it's important for us to understand that Zechariah, uh, one, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, that was written about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. It's about 500 years before the birth of Jesus, this prophet Zechariah prophesied that their king would come riding to them on a donkey. And Zechariah also states uh, in uh, chapter 9, verse 9, that this king has salvation. That this king who has salvation is coming, onto the, is coming to them riding on a donkey. So we're not talking about any ordinary king of Israel. We must be talking about the messianic king. We must be talking about the chosen one of God. For this king that Zechariah is talking about has salvation with him. And on top of that, uh, Zechariah uh, also writes, shout, shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. And so this messianic king isn't riding a donkey to, to any unknown location. The location is, is made known to us. This location is Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. And so this messianic king would come riding on a donkey or on a colt, the foal of a beast, into the city of Jerusalem. And it's incredible. 500 years before the birth of Jesus, the exact things are taking place. And so while, although a donkey is a much more humble mode of transportation, I, I always think of the, the movies of the med medieval times where the king and the princes, they're riding the, the big, white, majestic horses, and, and they just look awesome. And then you have a donkey, on the other hand, a, a more humble mode of transportation. But Jesus, he was humbly proclaiming to the people that, hey, I am he. I am he. I am the Messiah prophesied long ago. I am coming to you, O city of Jerusalem, riding on a colt. I am him. I am the messianic king. And so we continue in verse six, and Matthew writes, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
And so the disciples, they were obedient to the call of Jesus going to get this colt and this donkey to accompany the colt. And uh, Jesus, he went and sat on the colt and rode into the city of Jerusalem. And there was a crowd present. And the gospel of John, he, he mentioned that it was a large crowd present. And it wasn't any ordinary crowd that was present. John mentioned this is the same crowd who witnessed and celebrated the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. As shortly before the, these events transpired, if you remember Jesus and, and the city of Bethany mourning, weeping over the death of his dear friend Lazarus, he raised him from the dead and word got out. Word got out and, and the people came and they witnessed the risen Lazarus and they witnessed this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who performed this miracle. And so these people were celebrating, and the same group of people were celebrating the resurrection of Lazarus came to prepare the way for this Jesus of Nazareth, this man Jesus who performed this miracle. And they prepared the way by lying down their cloaks on the road and laying down palm branches. It was very common uh, for people to lay down flowers, branches, garments on a pathway of a great conqueror or a great king. King Jehu in 2 Kings 9 uh, was recognized in a similar fashion. As he was entering the cities, uh, the, the people laid down the palm branches. Uh, not in the scriptures, but about 200 years before Jesus, the same took place with Simon and Judas Maccabees, uh, two key Jewish figures, the latter of which uh, entered the city of Jerusalem and restored the temple of God from this tyrannical uh, leader. Some of you guys may have heard of Antiochus Epiphanes. And so about 200 years later, some of these similar events are taking place as these people that are laying down their cloaks, they're laying down these palm branches as Jesus is getting ready to enter the city of Jerusalem. So they're paying homage to Jesus. They're showing the respect and honor to him as potentially a great conqueror or a great king. And so verse nine reads, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so as this large crowd that had came shortly before then to witness the resurrection of Lazarus, and they came and preparing the way of Jesus, laying down their cloaks, laying down the palm branches as Jesus victoriously entered the city of Jerusalem on this donkey, humbly proclaiming that I am he, I am the messianic king, the people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, the, the word Hosanna is a bit tricky uh, for us because the story of Palm Sunday is the only place Hosanna is found in the Bible. Many people refer to Hosanna uh, being uh, like an exclamation of praise, uh, but uh, many scholars believe that the original intent of the word was to mean save or save now. And so when the Israelites shouted Hosanna to Jesus, they were pleading to him to save them. Save us, save us now. Save us now as they were living under the harsh Roman rule and they thought that God's Messiah would free them from this harsh Roman rule. As I'm sure many of them were well familiar with the prophecies of the Old Testament of this Messiah coming to establish God's kingdom. 
as Daniel mentions, this kingdom that, that, would, that would destroy every other kingdom. I'm sure they were well familiar with this. Now, they weren't aware uh, of the fact that this is going to take place at his second coming. And, and so Jesus wasn't to, to free them from the harsh Roman rule at that time. A, a bit of a misunderstanding from the Jews present there. But they exclaimed Jesus as the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. This is so important because in 2 Samuel 7, God promises that David's offspring would establish his throne and kingdom forever. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. That Jesus one day, right now Jesus seated at the right hand of God. One day Jesus is going to come back to earth and establish a kingdom in which everything wrong with this world will be made right. Amen. Yes. Because he is the son of David. The son of David that, that was to come and establish this everlasting throne, this everlasting house, and this everlasting kingdom. And I think the crowd recognized that Jesus was that Messiah. He is the chosen one of God. He is the son of David who will establish God's kingdom. And so this created a, a big ruckus. The, the, the whole city was wondering, what is taking place? Who is this man? And the crowds that are present there at, at the entrance of Jesus says, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus most certainly was a prophet, a prophet simply someone who speaks the word of God. And Jesus is an awesome prophet, a prophet foretold from ages ago. And so no doubt was he a prophet, someone who speaks the word of God. However, he was much more than a prophet as well. And I think the crowds recognize this as well. I don't think the crowds thought for him to be some ordinary prophet. I don't think ordinary is a bad word. There's no ordinary prophet of God. Uh, but a, a common uh, prophet of God, I think they recognized that he was the Messiah. As they recognized him as the son of David. And so this is the beginning of the most awesome week in the history of mankind. As this isn't some little podunk uh, city with, with, with a few people coming to, to welcome Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. The stakes are at an all-time high. And Jesus, as he's riding on this colt, exclaiming to the world in the most humble way possible that I am he. I am the Christ. I am the king. I am the king. And so today I'm a bit bummed out uh, because today we are ending in the middle uh, of the most wonderful story ever. It's much like uh, any TV show that you watch nowadays leaves you off on a cliffhanger. You're like, man, why'd you do that to me? It's because, hey, they want you to watch the next episode as well. Um, and so we are leaving you all off on a cliffhanger in hopes that you'll say, man, Kyle, why'd you stop here? In hopes that you'll come back as the story progresses. And, and the story is just getting started. 
And so come back with us this Friday at 7 as we take a look at the events that transpired from the triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem the moment that the crowds were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. His blood be on us and our children. Thankfully, the story doesn't end there on Friday as well. But along came Sunday. Next Sunday, we recognize and honor the victory that God gave to Jesus over death. Spoiler alert, we have access to that same victory. As the son of David, he is coming to save us. He is coming to save us, and he is going to establish God's kingdom here on earth. And all we need to do, we've been talking a lot about in the book of Romans, all we need to do, we simply need to put our faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, and we will receive the free gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That same Lord who triumphantly entered the city saying that I am he, I am the king. Let's pray. (sighs) Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the life, the ministry of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, we thank you for this Palm Sunday as Jesus exclaiming to the world that he is your son, he is your Messiah. Father, it's my hope and it's my prayer that we together as a church, we put our faith, we put our hope in you and in your Messiah Jesus of Nazareth, our Christ, our Savior, our Lord. So Father, we love you. We thank you for this wonderful, wonderful gospel message, the foundation of our faith. We love you so dearly. We love your son. It's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.